on now it was on I thought all right there we go um and so it's just it's weird <laughs> it's weird to be back but it's it is good I want to say thank you real quick and thank you on behalf of both myself and my family for the opportunity to go to to be to sit and listen um and to to rest um coming into this season we were pretty tired and you know in some ways we probably still are um, because, you know, when you just kind of keep going, you just kind of keep going. But to know that the Lord is at work, both in our family in some special ways, as well as uh, continuing here at the church while we've been gone, has been a great gift. Um, it is a gift to a pastor for church and ministry to continue while he's gone, right? It's a gift. And so I just want to say thank you. And I am so glad to be back. My wife and I, our kids, we're so glad to be back. Um, and we are here now. So we'll be, my plan is, is kind of to touch base with you all, re-get to know you all, um, hear what the Lord is doing in your life. I look forward to that opportunity. I wasn't originally planning to preach today. Um, we were going to kind of roll in a little slower than this, but with everything going on in the Johnson household, um, we just kind of thought it would be best um, to let Scott, um, who has done just a phenomenal job, um, and let him kind of transition in a different way, um, let him care for his family in a different way. And so here I am, and um, this sermon is a hard one. I said thank you to him for that. <laughs> He's going to get it in the end, though. We're going to talk about sarcasm today. Um, and so it'll be fun. Let me pray as we come into the, into the word, as we come into this time, that, that our hearts may truly be found in the Lord's presence. God, we do come before you. And Lord God, we are honored to be those who are called to be here to be here this day. God, we know that there are others in this world who are not. We know that there are those who will not receive salvation. There are those who will not see the goodness of your son. We know that there are those who will not see the goodness of the word that you've given to us, the truth that brings us life. And God, we pray that we would not waste that today. We pray, Lord, that as we come before this time in your word, before the Holy Spirit, as I pray the Spirit would speak through my words, that the words I would speak would be the Spirit's words. God, words that will touch our hearts and drive our lives and move us forward in powerful ways. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be here again amongst these, these people, amongst your people, Lord, called to bring the word. And God, I come before you and we come before you seeking your presence, God, looking to your glory and delighting in who you are this morning. Amen. Amen. I'm going to make a guess that every single one of us, when we were kids, were taught that sticks and stones may break bones, but names will never hurt us. Anybody not taught that? I can tell you two kids in the room who have not been taught that. Mine. I will not teach my kids that sticks and stones may break bones, but names will never hurt. Because unfortunately, and every one of us adults knows all too well, sticks and stones do in fact break bones and break skin. They do in fact hurt us when they hit us, but those wounds usually heal and heal quickly. But names do hurt. 
The things that are said to us and the wounds that, leave, they, that are left behind by them often go decades before healing, if ever, and then leave scars that may last our entire lives. The tongue, the mouth is powerful. Your tongue, your mouth, the words that come out of which are more powerful than any stick or stone that may come your way or the way of your kids or your spouse or your neighbor or your coworker or the guy who answers the phone on the tech line. What we say to people matter. James makes that really, really clear in chapter 3. And that's where we're going to be today. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I'd invite you to open up a Bible to there that we might go through this together. You all have been in the book of James, uh, studying it for quite a while now. I'm coming in kind of late in the game. Fortunately, the book of James is one of two books when I was in seminary that we translated from Hebrew to English. The book of Romans was the other one. It was exciting and hard. The book of James is a book about instruction, right? It is telling us how to live as Christians. It is not meant to be theoretical. It is meant to be a guide that tells us this is who we should be. If you don't measure up, then it's time to start. And I can guarantee that for some of us today, this passage is going to hit us in the gut. Because our words matter. And words in general matter. Let me read this for us. This is James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. He starts off writing, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. Now let me just pause there real quick. It's a really important note. Even James is saying, I don't have this right. Right? He's saying, hey look, teachers are going to be judged, judged more strictly. He, a teacher, is then saying, I don't have it right. We all stumble in many ways. But this is what he then says. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, hear this, this is about speaking. He is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Guys, this is a heavy word. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
In the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, but both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. And it is a good word. Sometimes it's actually easier, I think, to come into hard words and recognize how good they are for us because we know we need it. We know that we need to be challenged. We know that when we are challenged, what we're going to receive is grace from the Lord. Because he is gracious and he is merciful. He calls us to a certain kind of life. And he does not say that it is okay when we don't measure up. But he does say that his son is with us. As we get started in this passage today, I just want to say that we cannot probably know for sure, but I do think it is a safe assumption in this passage that James has a specific, a leader in mind when he's writing all of this. In his head, in his heart, I mean, he's thinking he's writing, he's got some guy named, you know, Jude or Bob or whoever name, I mean, those are bad names, but whoever name is the leader here, he's got somebody in mind whose tongue is out of control. And of course, we should all have pause as we come into uh, verse 1, as we think about those who we actually make leaders over us, right? Because they will be held to a stricter sense, to a stricter calling. They will be judged in a different way. And I will tell you, as, as a man who stands in the pulpit with this Bible open in front of me, with this organ <laughs> working. I have to take pause. I know Scott, the same thing. Every person that we train to teach here at Calvary, this is the same thing. We must consider that these people, me, us, will be judged stricter. Now the rest of the teaching on this is probably good for another day. Because the reality is what I think often happens, especially when a leader is misbehaving in their words, is that what then happens? Everybody else starts misbehaving in their words, right? I mean, in fact, I can't think of a time where somebody in leadership wasn't misbehaving with words where then the response from everybody else wasn't the same. And so what you can be assured is that even though James has in mind a leader as he's going through this, he's talking to the entire church, and that entire church extends through to Calvary Lahana close to 2,000 years later. Because every one of us needs to consider our tongues. Perhaps this leader, and out of him, the others in the church are lashing out, cursing, plotting, manipulating... According to the latter parts of this passage, perhaps they are, he is cursing somebody in the church, maybe out of the same mouth that he's praising the Lord with. And so I want you to hear this. Every word that I say today, I'm saying probably all the stronger to myself and to Scott, to Zane, and any of the rest of us who might aspire to teaching, but it is also for all of us. It is likely 
that this is a problem that just goes all the way through. In James chapter 4, we actually see where this lands. And in three weeks, we're going to be covering this passage. In James chapter 4, 1 through 2, I just want to read this, because this is the end result of what we see here today. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are yet at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, just a reminder, James wrote the book of James, this letter, to church, to Christians. As I studied this passage in seminary, I, I really came to the conclusion he's not writing in hyperbole here. He's writing to a group of people, a church, that are murdering each other, that are hurting each other, that are damaging each other. And where does it all come from? The fights and the quarrels, where do those come from? The mouth. They come from the mouth. The Apostle Paul also wrote in Galatians 5, 13 through 15, perhaps he was dealing with something similar, similarly. He says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. Hear this really well, church. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If you have been a Christian for very long, you know that there are churches that have bitten and devoured and consumed one another. Churches have split, ministries have crumbled, lives have been ruined by those who should be using, and hear this really well, who should be using their tongues and their mouths to praise the Lord and not to bite and devour. Friends, we all need to consider our tongues, our mouths, and the words that come out of them, the, the words that, that come in secret, that nobody else knows about, the things we utter when we're in the car by ourselves, the things that we utter when we're alone, the things we utter when we think we're alone on Facebook and we're distant from them because we live in a world where what comes out of here is often translated to what comes here. How we treat people on Facebook that we don't know is the same as how we speak to one another. Okay? How we speak to our families, our kids, when they're hurting, our spouses, when things are going wrong, our neighbors, when they do something stupid that affects you. Does our language reflect the glory of the Lord working through us, or does it reflect the things of this world? We're going to look at three things today as we dive into our, our passage today, as we, as we really begin to explore it. But what James is saying here, and I will say that I think some of this is going to be really encouraging, but I also know that some of it's going to be hard. And so the first thing that we're going to look at is the disproportionate power of the tongue. Now, I will just tell you, um, I borrowed that phrasing exactly from a writer and pastor named Sinclair Ferguson because it sums up what James is saying as perfectly as I could have figured it out. 
There is a disproportionate power of the tongue, and that's James's first point here. Right in verse 3, he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Then he says, look at the ships. Also, they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Verse 5, it says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such, excuse me, such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. Right, James's point in this part of the passage is that the tongue is out of proportion to the rest of us. It is the only part of us. It's one of the smallest parts of us. It's the only part of us that has the power to drive everything. And he starts with the image of a horse, right? The image of a horse that, that with a bit in its mouth is, is steered and dragged. Its body goes where you want it to go. Now those of us who know horseback riding, who have ridden horses, we know that that's actually probably a little bit of an oversimplification. Right? The experienced horseman knows that, that they steer a horse with their legs, their hips, their eyes, their center of gravity, as well as the, the, the bridle and the bit. But it all starts there. Right? It starts there. Growing up, some of you know this, growing up I used to ride fancy show horses. I rode English, which out here is a little weird. I did hunter jumper stuff, which means I had a fun little outfit and I jo jumped over really big jumps on a really pretty large horse. It was exciting. It was the same kind of stuff that Christopher Reeve uh, did, got paralyzed doing and I was doing it when he got paralyzed. So it you know, made it all the cooler. It was not cool. It was awful. But it did not take much with a fancy horse, well-trained, to steer it where I wanted. The smallest little tug in its mouth, and I could go over anything, jump over anything. It's exciting. It was awesome. <laughs> now I'm used to something a little bit different. We have a really stubborn ranch horse. And sometimes it takes every bit of pulling a rain around. Missy actually reminded me just a couple months ago that the best thing to do was just bring its head all the way back around. And I was reminded that when a horse is trying to throw you, all you have to do is go whoomp, and it stops. It can't. You control the whole thing with just its mouth. The tongue is the exact same way, and it drives, and it steers, and it moves the hugeness of who we are. James then talks about a ship, and similarly, it is a large ship that is controlled by a small rudder. Of course, the larger the rudder, the more power it has to steer. If you've ever seen a ship, I mean, just proportionally speaking, this is truly a, a disproportionate, you get a, a rudder that is, that is tiny, that can steer a city on the water. I'm reminded as I think about how much larger a rudder gets and how much more carefully we have to be with our tongues when our tongue ends up being a pretty big part of us. I think this is part of why James is writing to leaders, to teachers here, right? Because their tongues are a little extra strong. Their tongues are a little more powerful. I know this. See, when, 
when we know that our voices are bigger than others, we must be all the more controlled over what they do and what they say. Let me say that again. We who have bigger, louder voices need to be far more careful with them than people with small, quiet voices. Because the power there to hurt and destroy and to maim is huge. And any father who looms their voice over their daughter or small son knows this all too well. Next up, James gives us this image in verse 5 of a forest fire. Now, I can just think about a grass fire. We live in a place, Colorado in general, right, where forest fires and grass fires are a constant threat. Before I moved to Colorado, I never once thought about the danger of these things. Right, I grew up hiking out east where it's going to rain eight times today. You start a fire and it's going to go out naturally just because that's what happens. But out here, we know how a tiny spark can just set everything ablaze. A cigarette thrown out of a car burns hundreds or thousands of acres of a rancher's field. In 2002, a woman accidentally set the Haman fire, burning, reportedly burning, a love note from her estranged husband. It was the largest forest fire in Colorado history until 2020, where two fires then beat that out. It only takes a spark to set a forest fire. And James looks and he says, hey, look, all it takes is a tiny little tongue to do the same kind of damage and the same kind of destruction. The tongue is out of proportion in its power over us and over those around us. But here's the really good news. James isn't getting upset yet. Right? I mean, he hasn't made any statements about good or bad yet. All he's doing right now is talking about the proportion to which the tongue has in power over those around it, over what is much bigger. So here's just a reminder for us. As dangerous as the tongue can be, because it is out of proportion to the rest of us, what also can it be? A blessing, right? That power is the same whether good or bad. It can be used to tear down, to destroy. It can also be used to lift up and to bless. And this is James's point, right? He's not saying, hey, look, your tongue is always going to be bad. No, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying, hey, look, there's a way to use the power of your tongue for good and for evil. And that's kind of what we're going to look at moving forward. But first, has your tongue ever taken you to a place you did not want to go? Words spoken in anger that spiraled into violence. Lies and deceit that spiraled out of control. Empty boasts that when asked to prove could not be proven. Marriages that ended over careless words. On the other hand... Has your words ever carried you or have your words ever carried someone or someone else's words ever carried you to a great place? Right? The motivation from a coach that turned a losing game around. 
mean, how powerful it is that in the secular world, a coach can speak some words to a bunch of kids who are losing a game, and on the other side of halftime, they just go back up and they win everything. Because there's power, right? Words of love that changed your life. How many of us have been changed by the word of love from someone? Whether that's a spouse or a parent, someone here at church, an encouragement that pushed you to grow and maybe to grow well beyond where you ever thought you would be. Somebody looked at you and said, hey, look, I, I see something in you. I don't think you see it yet, but I see something in you and you started believing it and it caused new life. It caused something new to happen. Right? Words have the power to heal broken hearts, which is really good news because so often broken hearts come from the misuse of words, but there are words that can heal broken hearts. And how about this one? The gospel, which is essentially a spoken word, right? It is a word. It is a speech. There are those who would try to say that the gospel can be spoken without words in some way. It can't be. The gospel is words. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the power that that has in our lives. And just, just pause here for a sec and think about this. Because it is those words that probably, if you are saved, brought you from death to life. That is the power of the tongue. That is the power of words. That is the power that God gave to words. The power to bring us from death to life. Amen? There is a disproportionate power. And that power is going to be good or that power is going to be awful. James then moves into what I would say and what we're going to talk about, the dangers of the tongue. Right? He's just, here's the power of the tongue. Now he's going to talk about the dangers of the tongue. And this gets a little heavy. Verse 6, he says, the tongue is a fire. It is a fire. Now that's startling language. It's not like a fire, right? It's not a, it's not a metaphor. Saying it is a fire. <laughs> it burns. It hurts. We just talked about fire's power to consume even from the smallest spark. It destroys. He then says a tongue is a world of unrighteousness. This is other startling language, right? A world. Like the earth. It is the earth of unrighteousness. And on the earth there are deserts, there are mountains, there are oceans, there are beaches, there are forests. There is every variety of everything that we can imagine on the earth, right? There's plants and there's animals. There's people and there's, um, and there's rocks. I mean, there's just everything. James compares the tongue. He says it's, it is a world of unrighteousness, of unrighteousness, of evil. For as many things there are in this world, there seems to be in some fashion as many ways for our tongues to do evil and to be evil. He then says that it stains the whole body, right? The tongue is out of proportion to the rest. And so he says the tongue stains the body. And 
we think about what comes out of our mouth and what it does to the rest of us. But here's the thing. Most scholars agree that when James writes this, he's not just talking about me or you. He's talking about us. Right? He's, he's still got in mind everything that's happening in the, in the church, in the body of Christ. And he's saying, hey, look, one bad tongue, look what it does to everybody. Look what it does to everybody. It stains them. Church, we are supposed to be a people that are washed white by the blood of Christ. And yet the tongue is powerful enough to stain us. And he says that the tongue is setting on fire the entire course of life. And as I read that, I can't help but, but wonder if there's anybody in our own congregation whose life has, has literally been, been set on a certain track because of some use of the tongue 20, 30, 40 years ago. That there were lies that were told that drove something that broke something that hasn't been able to be repaired again, right? The tongue and the evil there associated with it is powerful enough to steer the entire course of life. And then James writes that it is itself set on fire by hell. Wow! <laughs> right? The source. That's what this means. The source of all of this unrighteousness, of all of this evil, of all of this fire, the source is what? Hell. And the word that's used here is actually the word Gehenna. Gehenna is the word that most New Testament writers use to refer to hell, but the interesting thing is it doesn't just refer to hell. It refers to a trash pit outside the gates of Jerusalem, a place of fire and smoke in rotting flesh. A literal place that burned 24 hours a day, generation after generation after generation. The New Testament writers could say, hey, look, you see that? That's the picture. That's what we have. That's the best picture we have. And that is the source. That's the source for what happens in our tongue. Another interesting note that if it hadn't been from jo for Joseph of Arimathea, you know, the fairly wealthy Pharisee who seems to have fallen for Jesus, rescuing him and burying him in his own tomb, that is where Jesus would have been thrown. The place of fire, of burning flesh. Do you see the dangers of the tongue here? James certainly does. That is why in the Bible, when it comes to wisdom literature, the tongue and the words that come out of our mouths are one of the most common things talked about. Go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 15.28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Proverbs 17.9, 
Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Proverbs 21, three, or 23, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The Bible is really clear. This is only a fraction of the wisdom on controlling our tongues in Scripture. It's a fraction of it. The Bible is really clear that our tongues can be so dangerous, and it is because they are out of proportion to the rest of us. Jesus himself says this, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. See, so what Jesus is saying here is that the reason the tongue is so dangerous is because it gets its cue from where? From the heart. Now, it's interesting because James just told us that the source of the tongue is what? Is hell. Church, what we need to know is that when our tongues are misbehaving, it is because our hearts are misbehaving. When our hearts are misbehaving, what are they rooted to? Hell. They don't have the life in them. The body goes where the tongue leads. The tongue goes where the heart leads. You want to know a person's heart? The best thing to do is actually to listen to their words. And not necessarily the words they speak when they're really paying attention to everything they say, but the things they speak, obviously, when things are going rough or when they think nobody's listening. Friends, when we think about this, I just want us to think about our words. Because there are things we should avoid and there are things we should do with our words. Colossians 3.8 tells us, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Right? There are just things as Christians that should not be said by us, that should not be uttered out of our lips. Those are the obvious ones. Some of the less obvious ones. Sorry, Scott. Sarcasm. I just have a question. How many of you have ever described yourself? You've, you've met someone, said, who are you? Say, I'm a sarcastic person or something like that. How many people of us have done that? I mean, we get some hands. My hand is up, okay? <laughs> I remember when I was a youth pastor, I had a seventh grade kid come to me crying because, and I quote, nobody likes me and they just keep making fun of me. Now, I knew this was the only seventh grade kid in the youth group who had been fully accepted in the ranks of the older teens. They loved him. They cared about him. They actually wanted to be him around. They invited him places, and they picked him up at his house when his parents couldn't drop him off. He was convinced they hated him. They didn't like him. Why? Because sarcasm is the love language of our culture, and seventh graders don't understand sarcasm. And so as they made jokes, said what they said, they were saying, hey man, we love you, we care about you, we're so glad you're with us. And all he heard was, we don't like you, why are you here? 
that led me to a leader to challenge our leadership kids to for one week not use sarcasm. We had about 23 kids in our leadership program at that point. By the end of youth group that first night, two hours later, none of them had, had, had made it. The really cool thing that happened, though, is that they all started realizing how they were using their language. Because by the end of the night, they could say, man, I made it like 10 minutes. You know, one of them was like, I made it to like four seconds before the end in the night. Right? And, and some of them then renewed the challenge and tried to work on it. I'll tell you what, it changed the hearts of some of them. They started saying what they meant to say. When there was a kid, they would say, hey man, I like you. You're cool. Right? Come hang out with me. And it changed hearts. Now, sarcasm is going to say, it probably, I mean, there are fun uses of it. There are okay uses of it, right? But just take note that sarcasm is literally saying the opposite of what you mean. And Jesus tells us to say exactly what we mean. So my challenge to all of us, those of us who would describe ourselves as sarcastic people, is how are we using our language this week? Can you make it till next Sunday morning with no sarcasm? Let me know if you accept that challenge and let me know how it goes, okay? Look, there are ways that we use our words. Sarcasm is just one of them. That reflect the way the culture uses language and the way the culture interacts with itself. That when it comes to the church, should not be. Because we're meant to be different. Right? What is looking different? Ephesians 4.29, Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. All right, second part of the challenge for those of you who choose to accept it. Even if you are not a sarcastic person, you can accept this half of the challenge, okay? Let nothing for the next seven days come out of your mouth that does not build up the people around you. Nothing. I mean, how long can you go with every word you speak to every person in your life and that you interact with without criticizing them or saying something kind of snotty? Can we build each other up? I mean, just think about what it would be like, even just this microcosm of the kingdom, right? This little piece of the kingdom. If for the next week, you and I, every person in this room and associated with our church, only built each other up, only spoke words of encouragement and pushing and, and, and whatnot to, to see God for who he is and to live the kind of lives we're supposed to live. Right, we've already said the tongue is powerful. How powerful might we see the tongue to be in one week if every word we spoke to each other built each other up? How about this one? What if we used our words this week to speak the gospel to people? Right, rather than use our words to talk about the Broncos, or to talk about technology or politics or 
I don't know, whatever else. I've been really sequestered for a little while. I've never been on Facebook. I don't even know what's going on. What if we just used our words to encourage one another and talk about Jesus to people? How cool would that be? What do you think might happen? Do we really believe that the, the word, the Bible, is true when it tells us that words are that powerful? Because here's the trouble with our words. And you think we haven't gotten to the trouble with our words yet? No, we actually haven't gotten to the trouble with our words yet in this passage. Look at verse 9. James writes, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Now let me just tell you, when the Bible tells us that something ought not to be so, it means it should not happen. Okay? It actually means it can't happen. It can't happen. And James goes on to prove that to us right here. He then says, Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? What's the answer to that? No, it cannot do that, right? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? What's the answer to that? No, it cannot bear, bear both fruits, right? Can a grapevine produce figs? No. Can a salt pond yield fresh water? No. What James is saying is that if there's a mouth that produces evil out of it and attempts to produce praise out of it, it doesn't happen. We are only able to produce one kind of fruit. You're either producing the fruit of evil with your tongue or the fruit of righteousness. You're either cursing your brother or you're praising God. And if you try through the week to curse the people around you and then come here on Sunday morning and praise God, guess what? You're not praising God. You're just not. That's James's point here. James's point is that it can't be. It cannot be that we would be people who would use our tongues this way and try to use our tongues to praise the Lord. He says these things ought not to be so. But hear this, and this is really good news. This is really good news. When he says that it ought not to be and that it cannot be, what does that mean? It means that it doesn't have to be. It means that it doesn't have to be. Right? He's, he's not just writing this to a group of people to say, hey, look, you're all really bad at this. And by the way, so am I. <laughs> well, I guess we have no hope. No, it's not what he says at all. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, But no human being can tame the tongue. Ouch! Right? Like, we can tame everything else, but we can't tame the tongue. But then he says it ought not to be so, which assumes, makes us assume should, that we can in some way. 
Well, here's the really good news. When James or any other writer of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us that something cannot be done by humanity, who is the one person that excludes? Jesus. So he says, Dan, you can't do this. You can try, you can, you can tame a parrot, but you're not going to tame your tongue, okay? I mean, he looks at every one of us, says, Randy, dude, you, you can tame, you know, an ox, but you can't tame your tongue, right? He's, he could do that to, with every one of us. But then we think on Jesus. Jesus can do the one thing, the one thing that none of us can do. And you think about when Jesus walked this earth, and spoke a lot of words. And here's the deal. Jesus spoke a lot of words. The book of John actually tells us that, that if all of what Jesus said was recorded, it would take what? The whole world. <laughs> right? Jesus never spoke a careless word. He never spoke an errant word. He never spoke a sarcastic word. Right? Jesus... In everything he said, in everything he taught, he taught exactly what he wanted to teach for the exact purpose that he wanted to teach it. Every single time, his words are perfect. Jesus' tongue was fully tamed. And we look to Jesus. And we say, tamer of tongues, please tame mine. Jesus is so good at taming tongues that he can tame our tongues too. And so we look to Jesus in this. We look to the only one who ever has, whoever will, tame a tongue, and we go to him as his people and say, Lord, we know the great evil that this can bring. We know the hurt that we have caused, I have caused to the people that I love because of words that I've spoken in anger or carelessness or whatever else. And we say, Jesus... Please do what you did to your tongue, to mine. Friends, this is our hope. This is our hope. There is something we're told in Scripture that we cannot do. What that should do to us every time is cause us, force us to go straight to Jesus and ask him for help. He died for us. He died for every bit of us. The big pieces of us and the little tiny pieces of us that have way too much power. He died for it all. He gave his life for it. Every part of him was dead so that every part of us could what? Live. So I just want to tell you, if you're someone who's sitting here struggling, you know what? I, I have no control over my tongue. I've got no control I mean, I go through my day and like, there's just things that come out of my mouth and I look at them afterwards and I think, why did I say that? There's good news for you. We follow a God who wants to tame your tongue, who wants to bring that for you for his own glory. See, a tame tongue goes from being the worst evil that can be to the greatest blessing that can be that points others to his glory, to his goodness, to what he's done, to his power. I mean, how powerful it is when you meet someone 
that you knew, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And man, every word out of the mouth was a swear word. Right, and every word out of the mouth was a lie. And every word out of the mouth was racist. And every word out of their mouth, I mean, whatever you can just fill the blanks in. And, and since then, they've met Jesus, and they are something else now. See, it's, it's actually out of our mouths is the greatest place for us to see the difference the gospel makes in us. Because it's the most obvious part of us. So church, let me just say, let me close here for us. What do we need to do with this? First of all, we need to praise him. For his infinite power, his grace, his mercy, his love for us that washes over us, that even when we use our tongues poorly, he's still there for us, still calling us back to himself. We need to praise him for the control that he has over his tongue and ours. Just praise him for it. Number two, we need to confess to him when our words have fallen short. When our words have not been what they should have been. When they've caused hurt. When we didn't say the right thing. When we could have said something just that much better. Right? We need to confess that to him. Say, Lord, I did it again. Right? Every time I speak to that person, to that coworker, I just like, Venom comes out of my mouth. Say, Lord, I did it again. Finally, what we need to do is ask him for help. We need to go to him. Say, Lord, I need you to tame my tongue. Say, Lord, I need you to train my tongue. Train my tongue to not speak vile, but to speak the sweet blessings of the gospel. To speak good news to people and not trouble and hurt and heartache. Amen? Church, I just pray that our tongues would reflect the power they have for the glory of the gospel. That is my hope for us as we come through this passage and as we move forward. That we would be a people who are looking to Christ for our help, for our hope, for our salvation. Let me just say before we come into the time of communion, if you have never given your life to Jesus, here's the reality. You have no help in this. If you've never come before Christ, your tongue is your own and it will do its own thing. We need Christ, every one of us, to tame our tongues. And if you need to talk about what it means to give your life big pieces and little pieces and all the pieces over, Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Scott. Somebody else you know who loves Jesus who's working through this as well. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the encouragement that we have. We thank you so much for um, what you've offered us here. I pray, Lord God, that the, the tongue would not be an area that we, that we struggle in. But even as we do, Lord, I, I pray that we would bring it to you. God, I pray that our words would be sweet as honey and would reflect the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he saved us and rescued us. This is my prayer, Lord.